Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned, as well as the original recording, on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy! Hoping to see a lot of you next week at NACAC. Uh, I know we've got pretty strong attendance there. I see Jeremy's in. I know he'll be there. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm excited to be back in person down in Houston. So if you if you enjoy this and have more questions, or if you say, hey, I think you could do a better job, stop, stop by and uh, have a chat. And we'll figure things out. Okay, it looks a little like the pace of logging in is slowing down just a hair. So we will jump in. Well, today we're going to be talking about the results uh, from the 2022 Niche Senior Enrollment Survey. Uh, so we had very good uh, uh, student participation this year. This is our seventh year, so we're going to get into some of the nuts and bolts. Uh, a few housekeeping items that always come up first. Uh, we're going to be recording this, and we'll be sending out the recording link along with the slides, uh, some ad insights to you as a way of saying thanks for attending. Uh, you can view all the results in detail on the Enrollment Insights blog. You can get there using the shortened link niche.bz slash research. Uh, there'll be a link at the end as well as a QR code if you just want to pull your phone out for that. Uh, there's also going to be an audio version of this. So if you want to re-listen or share to someone who loves podcasts, you can find that tomorrow morning in the Enrollment Insights podcast feed, uh, whatever app you use. If you have any questions or comments today, feel free uh, if I can talk today, if you feel free to drop those into the comments section on the right-hand side, uh, usually loads on the right side of your screen. We'll cover all those at the end. We had quite a few questions submitted in advance, so we'll cover those first and then get to the questions that come up as we go here. I'll let Ryan introduce himself first here. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ryan Bell. Uh, first time joiner, longtime listener of the of the Enrollment Insights podcast. Excited to be part of it today. Uh, I'm a principal strategist here at Niche. I've been at Niche for a little over eight years and kind of worked in a few different functions. But most recently, really trying to look for insights for Niche as well as for all of our partner schools that we're working with. So I get to work closely with Will and excited to share some of the analysis and insights that we've gathered from our, our users. And I'm Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed. Uh, my role is basically taking all this great information and, and doing surveys and uh, figuring out what's going on in the field and then turning that into some tactical response that schools can use to help better provide relevance and better experience for students. Uh, I think a fun fact too, Ryan and I have a very similar background. You're going to listen to a couple former chemists here today. So, uh, Whether you like it or not. Background. Yeah, <laughs> just some background here. Uh, this was the seventh annual survey. Uh, so we have a good amount of data here to look at some benchmarks over time. Uh, we had open from mid-April to mid-June. I uh, wanted to make sure students had uh, plenty of time to decide because this is a survey of people who had made up their enrollment decision. So if they hadn't decided yet, you know, we told them to come back later and, and complete. They were disqualified at the time, but yeah. And we also add a new feature uh, this year. We analyze user behavior uh, over five years of graduating classes on Niche to see what trends and the way students are behaving with the platform uh, have changed over time. Uh, we had just shy of 22,000 responses this year, 22% uh, of which were first-generation students. 27% coming from low-income families, and 43% coming from traditionally underrepresented minorities. I'll let Ryan so start us off. 
Oh, yeah. So uh, I've been part of Mitch for a long time and gotten to see a lot of the results from the, the surveys that we've done over the years. And I think this is the first time that we're really trying to take a step and look at both what students are saying as well as what students are doing. Um, we're in a Mitch is in a really unique position where we right now get about one in two college bound students from high school creating an account on our platform using Niche to be able to make that college choice. And because of that, we have a really interesting share of the market. So like Will said, we, we looked at the last five uh, graduating classes and really trying to understand what's new, what's changing, what's different about the search process and how are they ultimately, what are they ultimately saying about it? So one of the first things that we're seeing is the search timeline in terms of when students are beginning and when students are kind of completing uh, that the process is really extending and uh, it's kind of stretched out and much longer than in the past. So this first chart uh, is, which you, you may have seen in the white paper that came out a little while ago, um, is really looking at like when students are coming to Niche and engaging. So this is the, when, when a user comes to Niche, they can create an account. Uh, so this is for users that have gone through that process, have created an account on Niche, provided 20 to 30 different demographic data points. Um, and how are they using Niche? So this looks at over the course of their high school career, the proportion of those logins comparing the class of 22 to the previous, the average of the previous four classes. So when we did this analysis, we really saw two main things. Um, one that we're seeing the class of 22 kind of starting a little bit earlier. And you can kind of see that in those first few uh, bars where you can see that the green is a little bit bigger than the blue. Um, but I think the, the more interesting thing that that we're seeing is really the, the extension of when students are engaging and coming to Niche's platform. We're really seeing a higher proportion of users going later into their senior year, all the way into spring, as late as April and May, and still kind of coming to Niche and using Niche as a resource to, uh, to make that college decision. Uh, we're, we, we attribute a lot of this to kind of changes in the market uh, with we, we all know guidance counselors are stressed out. There's a lot kind of going on there, changes in the SAT in terms of when are those key seasonal spikes. Um, but we're really interested in trying to understand what this looks like. We did compare in this chart, the class of 22 to the previous four classes, but you're also we were also able to see these trends kind of leading up to this with the class of 21 as well. So excited to see this now and kind of recognize these shifts in the market, but curious to see what this looks like in later classes. Uh, so we're going to start looking at this for 23 and 24 uh, as early as possible. So uh, on the next slide, um, if you want to go to the next one, Will, we're, we're also curious, like, what are the differences in, in the different types of users as well? So this is looking at for the class of 22, that same engagement, when are users coming to the platform, but by their demographics, by their race? Um, you, the biggest difference that we're seeing is for underrepresented uh, or minority students, them starting the process a little bit later and really extending later into the cycle. The biggest difference is that those data points for spring of their senior year, where you can see a market difference between uh, the proportion of underrepresented minority students still engaging significantly late in the process. Um, we're, we're some hypotheses of what we might see here, and we're gonna dive into a little bit more from what students say, but uh, it's really interesting to see kind of the differences between types of students and kind of their backgrounds and the impact that it has on, on the search process. So to pair some of this data with the, the results from the survey that we're gonna be really unpacking is one of the key things that Will pulled out from the responses is students are filling out fewer inquiry forms on college websites. 
Um, not sure if you're seeing this specifically on your ends, but we're, we're hearing students filling out significantly less on college websites. So when we look at the data on this, um, what we can see is on, I'm just gonna move my screen so I can see the numbers. Um, the, big, the biggest difference is compared to the class of, class of 2020, the class of 2022 is seeing a 75% increase in students who report never filling out an inquiry form. So this is going from 16% to 28%, a, a pretty significant increase of users reporting never having filled out an inquiry form. Additionally, for we kind of look at the other extreme of this, students filling out lots of inquiry forms, this is down. So compared to the, the class of 2020 to 2022, it's down 33% with only 25% of students saying that they filled out five or more inquiry forms on colleges' websites. This is a little concerning, but there's a but. Uh, and I think this is something that's interesting is when we look at niches data, so students coming to search college search platforms like niche, students are still generating more inquiry forms on platforms like us, especially compared to college websites. So looking at uh, kind of the same data, but based on student behavior, this is inquiries that we have been generated on niche. So this is for a user that has created that account, has said, I wanna be contacted by schools and ex explicitly expressed interest. It's showing similar trends to what we see from what students report in the survey, but not as extreme. So when we when we look at this, what we're seeing is it's a it's only a slight decline. Uh, I guess when we look at the extremes, the the five or more, it's only a slight decline in the drop of students reporting filling out five or more inquiries, and then kind of on never having filled out, uh, it was seventy five percent up. Say, having never filled out, we're only sixteen percent up on a platform like Niche. Um, so, I, and the biggest difference that we see here is it was about 25% of users who said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna fill out five or more. But on niche, we're seeing that 42%, which is a 68% increase compared to college websites. So when we think about this, we we think that, if we go back one slide, sorry, well, I think when we think about this, like with platforms like niche and being able to reuse forms, because if you are interested in one school and then potentially interested in other schools on a platform like niche, it's the same. And we kind of streamline the process by housing all of them in one place. Uh, we, we see that as uh, users looking for ease and being able to reach out to schools and leveraging platforms there. So that's why we kind of see that difference. Another thing that's really interesting, this is the end. Um, students are also generating more inquiries later in the admissions process. So when we looked at those previous charts, kind of that extension, we saw users coming to the niche platform later they're also still expressing interest significantly later in the process. So for the class of 22, 25% of all inquiries for the class of 22 were generated between December and April of their senior year. And this is up 10% from pre-pandemic levels. So we're seeing these shifts in the market, both from what users are saying and what users are doing on platforms like Niche, and really seeing it kind of extending later into the cycle of when they're kind of doing the research and expressing interest with schools, which is a shift from what we were previously seeing. And then again, we wanted to be able to look at this by different demographics. So if we look at just senior year for the class of 22 for African-Americans, Hispanic students and white students, they're still generating multiple inquiries on average per month all the way through their senior year. So we expect to see a decline as people get closer to that decision less happening. But even as late as May, 
students who are coming to Niche on average are still generating between two and three inquiries on Niche's platform. And we're seeing a difference between those underrepresented or minority students and white students where those underrepresented minorities are generating 30% higher increase uh, in uh, compared to uh, white students. So both extending later in the cycle and still actively engaged, adding uh, as many as three schools on average. So a lot of different uh, insights that we can take away from behavior data, but uh, wanted to share this and kind of let Will take over to really dive into what students are saying about the process too. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think may just carry on with the same idea of, you know, the, the behaviors are changing. Students are submitting more applications and yet there's still these issues that are preventing them from submitting to all the colleges that they really want to. So what does that mean? The majority of students, the so 59%, are submitting five or more applications. I mean, that's, that's a pretty wide net they're casting. 26%, just over a quarter of those, are submitting 10 or more, which is up 44% from pre-pandemic. So it's just this wide net. And yet there's still some colleges that they really were looking forward to applying to that they didn't. So why is that? You know, I think there's these friction points, these roadblocks. Um, there were several of them that, that we identified when we asked students, um, what, what created these challenges? What prevented you from submitting an application? And more than a third of students said that they felt that the deadlines were earlier than they were prepared for. And that's on the rise over the past few years. Uh, so that's something that, you know, you may have to look at, there's sure everyone wants things in as soon as possible, right? But if students don't feel prepared for it, is that really serving them best? Um, you know, the majority also said that there were colleges they either did not apply to or did not complete an application they started because of an issue. So we asked, what were these reasons? What are the main reasons why you didn't do that? And they fell into, this was the, the four biggest reasons here, saying that it was too expensive to apply. It was at 26%. The application was too long, 22%. Too many, required ah, too many required materials to submit, that was 19%. And they said the application was too confusing, that was 13% of those. You know, the good news though, I think, is that all of these are issues that can be fixed because they're largely self-imposed barriers. They're internal reasons that we have these things. So how do we get around these? You know, I think the first one here, you have to start out auditing all of your processes, especially the application, any forms you have. You know, think about, are you asking for the right information at the right time? You know, you could really start this at the inquiry stage, but are you thinking about, are we asking the things that are needed at this stage? Or are they things that won't be used for a while and could we ask them later instead? So if a student feels your application is too long, think about, are we asking things that we need for them right now to make an admissions decision? If there's things that you're asking on your application that you don't need to make an admissions decision, you know, I wonder why are you asking them? Why not do it in a supplemental form later? Why not, you know, have conversations and fill out information? If there's things that are not needed for the application, it doesn't necessarily need to be asked on the application. Are you using all the information you're asking for in general? Are you looking through your application, find fields that maybe aren't being used at all? You know, there's very likely going to be fields that were added years ago and everyone just refreshes their form and don't really take a critical look at whether these fields are still needed. So that's something that I really encourage you to go through. Um, you know, the top level issue here that, that prevents students from applying was the cost, the application fee. So think about, do you need an application fee? Does it cover the cost that you need it to? Or is it a barrier? You know, are you using it as a revenue source? You know, what is the reason for that fee? 
why are students being asked to pay to find out if they will be eligible to pay, right? So it is a barrier. It's keeping low-income students out. One other thing, even if you have a fee waiver, what you're doing is forcing those students to raise their hand and identify themselves as low-income. And you hear from students who say, I don't want to do that. I don't think that'll help my chances of being admitted. So that fee waiver doesn't always work in the way you might want it to. Uh, in terms of making your application more easily understood, always recommend have student workers, have colleagues around campus, go through and see if there's anything that isn't quite as clear as it could be, you know, especially on mobile. You know, can your application easily be filled out from someone's phone? That answer is no. Okay, there's some design work that needs to happen there. If there's fields that are confusing, if things are worded in ways that aren't easily understood, that's a good time to start refreshing some language. Uh, on a quick aside here, not everyone is submitting half a, dozen, half a dozen applications. So when we look at the students who only submitted one application, we saw a few differences based on what they were looking for. So when we looked at our single application submitters, if it was a student who was only considering two-year colleges, half of them only submitted a single application. So they were very focused on where they were going to go. On the, on the flip side there, for context, if they were looking at only four-year colleges, only 8% of them only submitted one application. So there's a big difference there. I know we have several people from community colleges uh, and, and trade schools. This is where your applicants look very different. Uh, another point here, your college website is the most important recruiting tool. Your application website, your application, your website is for your prospective audience. It's not necessarily for just internal people. So remember, this is not a directory. It's not a uh, not just a structure in the same way that your departments and offices are at the college. Your website is a recruiting tool. 90% of students said that a college's website was important to their search. That was the single highest thing. So making sure it's easy to navigate is very important. Make sure that information is structured in the way that students and parents will look for it. You know, you don't have to have everything organized by college and by office. Think about how do people look for information? What questions do they want to answer? So take a look at your site search information. Take a look at uh, if you have user recordings of the way people flow through your website. You know, look at how your website's being navigated and think about how does this meet the need of someone who is trying to find information, not how this is structured in terms of your org chart. Uh, can students inquire on every page of your website? because really every page on your website is a landing page, depending on what people look for. So make sure that your inquiry form is site-wide. Uh, and then think about, is the information framed in a way to answer questions and really get them excited? Or is it very functional, right? Is it very, well, it, here's, the, here's the processes you go through. Insert reviews, insert student stories, insert photos, videos, things that are going to get people excited to come back, get their questions answered, and see themselves as part of the community. So what else mattered to students? Well, 78% said that college search platforms like Niche, right? That's where they're going to do this search when they aren't actively going and filling out your inquiry forms. Net price calculators at 71% help them make decisions. So making sure that your net price calculator is essentially an inquiry tool. As someone fills that out, do they just get the net price output and that's it? Or does it then lead them into how to get more information, how to submit an inquiry? You know, are you, are you handing out some swag when they do that? Uh, visits to campus, 68% of students said those were valuable. That's been slipping, right? We would love that to be 100%. 
you know, the interesting thing too is we again saw a lot of students not taking any college visits, and yet this number is lower than the number of students who did take a visit. So there's students experiencing visits they don't they don't feel are valuable. So you need to think about is, are our visits relevant? Are they just a broad overview, or are they speaking to what matters most to the attendees? So segment those as much as possible. Virtual tours, virtual events, getting closer to 50%, finding them helpful. Um, don't get rid of them entirely, of course, but make sure that they can be really focused, really relevant. And so you may have 10 of them instead of one or two, but if they're hyper relevant, you're going to have a better experience for the attendees. A next point here, students are more price sensitive, but not necessarily more cost conscious. And I really want to emphasize this because those are two different concepts. Price sensitivity is talking about how much the price affects their consideration. Cost consciousness is about knowing the price and then choosing to spend less. And that's where we see a little bit of a disconnect. So this year, 81% of students eliminated colleges from consideration based solely on that sticker price, the total cost of attendance. So they chose not to inquire or apply based on that total cost. And that's up from 73% last year, 68% in 2020, and 56% pre-pandemic. And starting last year, that was the first year we saw the majority of every income quintile eliminating colleges based on the sticker price. So the majority of the very wealthiest students are still eliminating colleges based on the sticker price, not the final cost. You know, you can't show them how affordable you are and how generous your scholarships are if they don't apply in the first place, right? So every year you're increasing total costs, you're also eliminating more potential applicants. We also asked them then how these concerns carried through their actual decisions. And it gets a little bit fuzzier there, actually. So for students who are admitted to two colleges, at least, we asked them how the final cost of the college they enrolled at this fall compared to their other options. And what we saw, overall, 31% of all students chose the more expensive option, and 36% chose the less expensive option. So while cost is a big stressor, it's a big concern, financial aid is very important to them, they are not ultimately going to just choose whichever college is less expensive. This is where those value conversations and the brand conversations come into play, right? They aren't always going to choose the less expensive option. But only about a third of students who said that they were confident overall that they could afford the college at which they're enrolling. That is very troubling to me. The college they're choosing to enroll and only a third of them say they're confident they can afford it. And for the students who did say that they weren't confident, it may be because here we see 38% of them chose the more expensive option. You know, that's something that that's really interesting. Uh, that's that's uh, a little bit of a concern, right? They say they're, conf they're, they're not confident they can afford college, and yet they still choose the more expensive option. Um, when we look at just low-income students, they were only slightly more likely to choose a less expensive option. So it wasn't this big swing there. And then when we look at the highest income quintile, these students were more likely to select the more expensive colleges than their other options as well. So overall, yes, price is very important. Having a sticker price that students feel gives them a good footing for financial aid to keep reducing is important, but they're not always going to choose sort of that, that rational choice. They aren't going to say, I'm very concerned about cost and then choose the least expensive. So. It's all about providing that value statement to, to them as well. Next piece here, relevant information is very important to students, 
but most aren't receiving it. They're not receiving the relevance they they want. Uh, and I always talk about this in two frames. There's personalization, which is speaking to the individual, right? So if I say, "Hey Ryan," you know, I'm speaking to you. If I say I'm going to be at Mount Lebanon High School, that's personalized. That's using information about your relevance is speaking to that individual in the moment about what matters to them. So if Ryan is an inquiry and I've sent him information about the application process, that's relevant at that stage. If Ryan's a sophomore and I send him information about the application process, that's not relevant, right? If he tells me he's interested in chemistry and I start talking to him about our art program, that's not relevant. So there's a big difference there. You know, this starts from your very first response, be it an autoresponder or otherwise. When someone fills out an inquiry form, someone comes into your system in some other way, your first response needs to be an answer to their inquiry. So if they filled out an inquiry form on your basketball page and you, you first respond and tell them to come visit, that's not answering their question. They want to know about the basketball program. They fill it out on the financial aid page. And your first response is apply today. That's not relevant, right? They filled out on the financial aid page. It's an inquiry, right? They're asking a question. Think about it in the same way that if I came up to you in conversation and said, could you tell me more about your college? And you said, apply today. That's not an answer. You know, that's not telling me what I asked for, right? So everything needs to be an answer to the question. It needs to be relevant. It needs to speak to what you know about them. 73% of students say that relevance influences their decisions, but the majority didn't get it, right? Students want and expect to provide relevant information. So talk about what matters to them, not what matters to you, right? If your outreach is all about what actions you want them to take and not about the major, the programs, the clubs, the experiences that they have told you that they're interested in, that's providing a poor experience, right? If that student comes to you and says, here's my major that I'm interested in. I'm also interested in band. I'm also interested in study abroad. And you tell them to visit, you tell them to apply, you tell them to take this step and you don't tell them about the things they say they're interested in. That's not a good experience, right? So when you're building your outreach, whether it's nurturing, engaging inquiries, nurturing your applicants, you know, warming up your prospects, frame everything in three ways, right? What are their needs? What do they need to hear about? Those are the essentials. What are their preferences? The things that they want to hear about, but aren't going to be a deal breaker, right? And then what are the threats to their ability to enroll? More importantly, their ability to, th to thrive once they get on campus. So if you frame everything in these three buckets, you don't have to try and hit them all in every single email, every single postcard, but as you're reaching out to them, you know, you're going to be providing for their needs, exciting them with their preferred content, and then removing barriers before they become a problem. You're going to have much more effective conflows. So we asked what channels are most influential here, right? 75% said email was very influential, right? 64% said a letter, 40% said text messages, everything else was right around a third saying they were influential. So if you want to know what's most influential, focus on email and letters, not necessarily postcards, view books, right? Having that relevant information that speaks to them and feels personalized is much more effective. Uh, we also asked about what sort of frequency is important because if you're sending a postcard every day, that gets a little expensive and a little crazy. If you're emailing them every day, that's a little bit too much. So knowing this to provide the relevance is very important here. You know, if you're providing information in a channel they're not interested in too often, 
that's just going to come off spammy, right? If you want to see what this looks like, check out our applying to college on, on uh, Reddit, and you'll see students complaining about the colleges that send them too much information, and you better hope you're not on that list. Uh, so overall, email, weekly, not a problem. Probably not a preference either, uh, because if you have, uh, if it's just general checking in or visit today emails every week, that's not going to be a good experience. But if you're speaking to them about the things they, they care about, about what matters to them, you're going to be in good shape there. Uh, so overall here you see video chat is now less preferred than phone. Uh, I know people used to hate making phone calls. Now students uh, dislike video chats even more than phone calls. Lastly, it really matters who students want to hear from. Uh, surprisingly, admission counselors are not their top priority. 84% of students said they wanted to hear from financial aid staff and 75% wanted to hear from counselors. So close behind that, then 70% wanted to hear from current students. So talk to your ambassadors, talk to students who are very active on social or just really engaging in general. And how do we put them in touch with prospective students? How do we get their voice out there to connect? You know, while most students said they didn't care about hearing from leadership, we see that down the list there a little ways. There was, you know, an outlier there. We saw almost two thirds of students who wanted to attend a HBCU said they wanted to hear from leadership. Two thirds. You know, it's, it's important there to speak to what matters to your audience because we can't just treat all students the same. They're going to have different priorities. They're going to make their decisions based on what matters most to them, not necessarily what we consider most important to promote. All right. We had a lot of questions come in, uh, so we'll be getting to the ones that were submitted in advance here. Um, we have several questions that came in. If you have any questions, anything you want more clarification on, uh, drop those in the chat on the side. Uh, just a reminder, because I see it came in a couple times. Yes, this is going to be recorded. Uh, you'll get the uh, uh, email with that tomorrow. Usually about midday, we'll send out that recording. There's also be going to be a podcast version of this. So we'll dive right into questions now. If not inquiry forms, then what? Right? Well, students are filling out inquiry forms. You know, they just want to do it in their, in their own way. They're not necessarily going to college inquiry forms. Um, I, I really started to think of these almost like window shoppers. These are the students who are doing their search online. You know, they're looking around, but they're not necessarily walking into the store and talking to the salesperson, right? They want to do their search on their own timeline in their own way. They don't want it to be pushy. So you need to be able to meet students where they are doing their search, which is online, as well as then providing a better inquiry and response experience on your own site. So think about how are we going to talk about um, up front, if a student fills out an inquiry form, tell them what to expect, right? That way they know that it's going to be worthwhile for them to do so. Is your inquiry form even findable on each page? Is it short or do they have to provide 10 pages of information, right? And then are you providing relevant responses to them after? Ryan, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I think a lot about this is really like the times are changing and I agree with everything that Will said, but I think another layer on this is just what, what this generation and what students are used to. And they're really used to platforms to solve problems. I, I'm the same way and I, I, it's definitely, I, I'm feeling my age as I think about the college search problem, um, but you don't go to an individual re uh, restaurant website anymore to make a reservation or to order takeout. You use platforms like Yelp or Grubhub. And they're also the same platforms that are these trusted third parties to be able to compare 
across those. And that's that's just the standard now. You expect to be able to have this trusted third party to help facilitate the connections, make it as easy as possible, fill out that inquiry form, as well as understand more about the restaurant or the college. And I think that's why we're seeing kind of those differences between what students are saying about college websites and kind of how they're interacting there. Still very important, especially if you want to dive deeper or really understand more. But there's this kind of rise in platforms like Niche, whether, um, which is kind of the increases that we're seeing from a behavior perspective. So just if not an inquiry forms, then what? I think it's a shift and we'll, we'll continue to see that shift to platforms moving forward as well. Okay, how do students want their parents to be involved in the process and are they likely to sign parents up for emails if they're asked? I think the answer to the first one is mixed. Uh, the second part, yes. Uh, so a little more than half of students say they don't want their parents to be copied on information. Uh, I think they still want to be the gatekeepers to the experience, uh, but they did say that general information, financial aid information is welcome. So that's the type of information they want their parents to get. Parents have a little different take on that. We have a parent survey that'll be out in November uh, that gets to what they really want to hear about their experiences, where they agree and disagree with their students. Um, on the second part though, yeah. I mean, if it's not, you don't necessarily have to have it on your initial inquiry form because that's just getting longer and longer, but in a supplemental form as a follow-up, hey, would you like your parents to receive information? You either just respond or fill out this short form, things like that. Uh, certainly on the application, you should be collecting that uh, and keep parents in the loop there, but you don't have to just copy them over either. How can I encourage my students to do reliable research on colleges once I provide a list? Uh, I think the first thing, point them to reviews, to online content from current students in the college. You know, make sure that what students are saying about their experience at a college really jives with what, uh, with what the college is putting out because you'll see some differences there sometimes uh, in terms of the experience that's being talked about and what students are actually saying they experience. Uh, Ryan, I think this gets at some core user behavioral things. Yeah, I 100% agree with Will's point, really getting to uh, the, the what it's really like and capturing kind of the, the current students and is, is important. But when we think about the right choice for, college, for students choosing a college and kind of what the research that they should be doing, we broke kind of thought about it and breaking it down to a few core questions and being able to confidently answer those in terms of, is this going to be right for me? So the first one is, and it's for, it's not, this doesn't apply to every search in every school, but chances of getting in, like, is it, do I have the academic credentials to be able to get into the school? Does the student need to change anything about their current state, whether it's test scores or AP classes or things like that to make their application more compelling? And that's a that's a first one to start narrowing things down or even bucketing into those uh, safety target and reach schools is a good way to think about that. I think we're seeing this even more with kind of uh, over the, the last few graduating classes, but really being cost conscious. We're seeing that came through clear as day in the, the responses. Uh, and we see that in our own internal user research as well. So really answering the question like, can I afford it? And being, and this gets to the personalization side of things, like really digging into this one, not being afraid of sticker price, which we know is a problem, but it really encouraging students to drill down to whether it's a net price calculator or looking at net price by household income, which is publicly available, whether it's on college scorecard or on niche, really trying to understand like, can they afford it? And this is also depending on the, the students and families background, 
requires some conversations with, with parents if they're going to be involved in the financial side of things. We know from our own research, many students don't have a good sense of their family uh, economics. And this mm -hmm. is an opportunity for them to bridge that gap and have a conversation with those parents if that's going to be part of this decision. Um, another core question is, like, does it have the major I'm interested in or is it going to help me prepare for the job that I think I might want to do afterwards? Which is also kind of getting at, will it be worth it? And really kind of that, that ROI, side of, ROI side of things. So that's another key thing, making sure that students are kind of going in eyes wide open, like, is it going to help me prepare for that next step if they have um, confidence or have a sense of what that might be? And then the last one, this is kind of going full circle to what Will said at the beginning is like, am I going, am I going to enjoy it? Uh, and this is really understanding what it is going to be like more on that uh, qualitative side, uh, really capturing like, is it going to be an enjoyable experience socially? Is, if I'm really into sports, does that have a good scene there? And I think this is where reading reviews or trying to talk with students who are on campus is an opportunity. And you can do this. Uh, social media has really exploded the ability to do this as well. So using platforms like Niche, where we have these trusted, verified reviews, as well as other means to get in touch with students to really understand what it's really like and answer the question, will I enjoy it, is how I would think about kind of breaking down questions once you have that list of schools to really do deeper research there. Great advice on all those. Uh, how important was the information received about college or university prior to their senior year of high school? Yeah, I, I think one thing, and I'll, Will's going to chime in too, it's like, it's hard to say, um, but when we think about like our data and when we know users are in the college search process actively in it, um, things before senior year, it's it's complicated um, because you're competing with a lot of other things and noise. Uh, it may put a school's name on a student's radar, but the information is competing with everything else going on in the student's life. Um, it also depends on the type of student. I would say more elite students tend to consume this content earlier uh, and kind of see it as an opportunity and they're, they're earlier in the cycle. But while like the typical student, so um, I think this is, they're, they're not necessarily in the college search process yet. So it's, it's not necessarily something that's going to um, change. Uh, it, like I said, it may put a school's name on their radar, but if they're not actively thinking about this and really engaged, it's, it can also come across as noise compared to everything else that they're doing. And based on junior survey information, the students as juniors really expect relevant information, but they're even more likely to say that they're not getting it. Uh, very few say they were getting relevant information. More of them said that every college sounded alike than, were, than said that they actually received relevant information. Um, if I can give you a little preview of something that'll be coming out in about nine months, um, I'm doing a secret shopping right now as a junior and collecting information about junior comflows. Uh, there's very little information being given to juniors. Almost every single email is visit today with no information about majors, no information about extracurriculars, no information about the college. It's been, I think, concerningly rare to provide relevant information to juniors. So I would say how important is it? Very important. How important is what's actually being sent to students? Not very important, right? It's important to them, but they aren't necessarily getting things that help them with their decision. Uh, why are visits down so significantly? You know, this is something we, we've seen over the past couple of years. You know, is it gas prices, economic issues, general sense of wanting to wait until they're admitted first? So Ryan, if you want to take this first. 
Sure. Yeah. I'm, I would say yes to all of these points. I think they're, these all contribute to why visits are down. I would also still say the, uh, the lingering effects of COVID are still 100% in there. Uh, and as part of that, I would say people are just getting used to doing things more virtually, digitally after two years of having to do everything that way. Um, so it's just, uh, I think, a, a comfort level and a shift in terms of what people are, the confidence that people are able to get from a big decision doing it virtually compared to what we had seen even three years ago. I know that even before the pandemic, there was this shift of more things happening digitally. We were seeing that over the, the years before 2020. But I think we saw this acceleration. And um, while, vir- while traditional tours are still going to be very important, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was in the 60s or 70s percent of, of saying that it's valuable from the survey. I think we're going to continue to see virtual and digital things increasing and um, the more traditional means of understanding if the school is going to be a good fit kind of decline uh, over the next few years as well. Yeah. I think there's just students saying that there's less value in a visit now. So more students are saying if they can't visit at all, they are not going to delay their decision either. It's not going to be a barrier. Uh, I mean, we mentioned earlier, only 68% of students said that a campus visit was important to their search and to their decision-making process. Um, But yeah, we hear from students in our fall senior survey that's coming out in October, um, you know, and then the junior survey, there's a large group who are waiting until they're admitted or even after they've made their decision to take a, a visit. So it's just that, you know, is it, I, I'm limiting the number of visits I'm taking. I mean, some high schools do limit how many times a student can take off for a visit. So that limits their ability to visit. You know, you want to make sure you're really set before you use that day. Um, so that, that I mean, there's a lot of things going into this. Part of it is, are they getting the value? Do they feel like they will have a different enough experience if they visit campus than if they just look on at everything online? Uh, let's see, are students motivated by deadlines, so registration, deposits, etc.? You know, I think to a degree, but more by their own timelines and deadlines. So they're saying the application deadlines are too early, right? But we also know that most deadlines are at least partially artificial, like saying there's a May 1 deposit deadline. Almost nobody actually maintains that, right? Your deadlines are less important than their own, and the students know they have the, the control, right? They have a lot of commitments and they tend to do things on their own schedule. So you can either be flexible and supportive or rigid and try and push back and say, you have to do things by these days. You say we prefer or we give preferential housing or we give X, Y, Z to students who take actions by these days, but they just don't buy the, uh, the deadlines as much. Okay, we've got quite a few questions that have come in. Uh, so we'll start going through some of those that came in here. Uh, the, on, on the screen here, you'll see there's the link to the survey results if you want to explore everything. Uh, you can also use your phone with the QR code. Uh, but then also, just a reminder again, uh, this is recorded. You'll get all of those tomorrow. Uh, we'll have the recording in podcast form as well. Uh, all these slides will be available so you can go back through and review any you may have missed. Um, but yeah, first up here, uh, it's interesting the students report that they're starting their college search earlier, earlier by completing inquiry forms later. You know, there's a lot of whys to that. What What are you thinking there, Ryan? Yeah, it, it's a hard one. And it's still puzzling and still a little bit like we're just starting to see these shifts and trends. I think the, the biggest thing is like, what are the external signals that actually cause users to start the college search process and inquire? A lot of those have been based around like the bigger deadlines and especially around the, the tests 
uh, SATs, ACTs when students have to take them and when scores are released. With more and more schools going test optional and not significantly less students taking SATs, I think we're seeing just a lot of those seasonal kind of signals of like, now's the time to start the college search process or now's the time to um, inquire or kind of start getting a little bit more involved, just getting a little bit stretched out and messier. Uh, I think that's one big thing. And and, and also just knowing the, the dynamics currently within schools with teachers and guidance counselors being significantly under-resourced. I've read so many articles recently about teacher shortages, the, the, the ratio of guidance counselors, student teacher, uh, guidance counselors to students is just unbelievably high and so much else going on in the world that it's, it's hard for them to provide the resources to students of when to do this. So I think a lot of factors are kind of contributing to when students start, which is kind of driven on their own terms, especially as that we're seeing that from the survey, it's like uh, this generation is really wanting to take more ownership but as well as just like not having those clear signals of when to do it is mm -hmm. kind of causing when we historically saw it to be stretched out and come at different times. Uh, are we able to disaggregate data by race or ethnicity looking at those application roadblocks? We definitely did. Uh, so I slice and dice that by race, ethnicity, household income, location. Uh, and there was only about a percentage point or two difference. So nothing significant either way uh, for all of the roadblocks. Uh, we did see a little bit in terms of low-income students seeing application fees as more of a uh, barrier. Uh, again, even if you say, well, we offer fee waivers, that requires students to raise their hand, one, to know about the program, and then raise their hand and say, hey, we're, we're low-income. Uh, so it's not, it's not a quick fix. Uh, let's see. Uh, what about voicemails as an option? Well, voicemails fall into phone calls because if you think about how infrequently um, students are actually answering their phone, uh, you know that's something that uh, I, I would say that's that's a I, I would bucket those together. Leaving a voicemail versus just making the phone call and not leaving a voicemail isn't going to have much of a difference for students. They just don't particularly like phone calls. Now, once there is a relationship built, if you say, hey, can I call you at this time to speak to you and your family about financial aid? That's a different thing than just cold calling prospects, right? Uh, do we have any data on email topics? So we know what students like, that we know students like email, but what, what do they want to know about in terms of information? Uh, we do have all that in the, in the white paper. The biggest things they wanna hear about, um, financial aid being a big one, they wanna know about student life, uh, so showcasing what campus is, is like, no matter what though, make sure it's relevant to that student. So make sure you're speaking to their major, to their interests. That's what they really want to receive. They don't want emails that just tell them to visit, to apply, what have you. Uh, let's see, a lot of great questions. Uh, if students are visiting campus, what is their response to virtual tours? Uh, we saw much less interest in virtual tours. Uh, than on campus. Now, I think that we still need to make sure your virtual tour is robust so they have a different experience. If someone can't get to campus or they know they won't be able to visit campus till later in the cycle, have that tour where they can at least get a feel for it uh, and then make sure they're comfortable and then they come to campus. But it's not a either or. Students are doing both as well. Uh, is it possible students are just aware of big data? So if they're searching for something they know or expect it's going to pop up in their feed. So they just don't feel the need to fill out an inquiry card and get more information. You know, they might not 
even equate the two. But Ryan, what do you what do you think about something like that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see that as um, just in general, people are more cautious of being of sharing information. Um, so I think there's there's two factors. One, the expectation of relevance and personalization is just across the board, whether it's through communication channels like Will has been talking about, or just when I'm on the internet, I expect the internet to be personalized and relevant to me. That's a, yeah, that's an expectation. And then, but I also think there is still like when the when a student is very interested and kind of understands the value that they would get out of providing the information, that's when they're able to kind of cross that barrier and be more explicit, filling out the inquiry form. I think the big thing though, is that when we think about it is, students want to make it as easy as possible and they don't want to have to do the same inquiry form on lots of different sites when they're comparing multiple schools. Being able to have a platform like a niche to be able to streamline that process, I fill out one inquiry form that I can use on all the schools that I'm potentially interested in, that makes that makes it a lot easier to kind of cross that barrier of filling things out. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a, a good two cents. I, I wonder if prospects may not be feeling uh, may not feel like they need to fill out an inquiry form since they're already receiving information. You know, if a student is just receiving information as a prospect, they might not realize that they're not getting it from everyone they might be interested in. That's a that's a good answer there. Thanks for thanks for adding that. It looks like that's. I think we've hit all the questions here. Um, next steps here. Uh, you'll be getting the recording. Everything else tomorrow, usually about midday. Uh, next week, I hope to see a lot of you in, in NACAC down in Houston. Uh, in a couple weeks here, we're actually going to be putting out one of our playbooks about reaching these window shoppers, exactly what we're talking about here. These students who are not inquiring, but are still very active in the search. So we put together a playbook on how to do a little better job there uh, with that. Uh, middle of October, uh, we're going to be putting out our annual fall senior survey. So it's a look at the class of 2023. They're active in their search right now. What are they experiencing? How has that changed for the past couple of years? Uh, so a lot coming out and then the parent survey in November. Uh, so a lot of great information coming your way. Just want to say thank you to everyone for joining, asking questions, attending. Uh, thank you to Ryan for joining today as well with all the great user behavioral data too. Pleasure to be here, Will. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, we'll see everyone later and uh, hope you have a great end to your day.